Welcome to episode 11 of Keeping It a Hundo. I'm your host, Maddie Hundo. Episode 11's guest is Raja Bell. Fittingly, Raja wore number 11 as a rookie with the Philadelphia 76ers. Coincidence? I think not. So keep subscribing and downloading. Your support is much appreciated. Also, check out Raja's podcast on CBS Sports. It's called Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. You can find it where you find me on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy episode 11 with Raja Bell. Back in 2002, I was in a pretty bad place. One of my closest friends at the University of Miami, Chris Campbell, died in a car accident one night coming to pick me up. It messed me up pretty bad. I stopped working. I was going through a pretty bad depression for a while. Chris was engaged to Toomby Bell. He was also a starting linebacker on the last University of Miami football team to win a national championship. Maybe the best college football team of all time. And he died right before the NFL draft. His story is not only tragic, but almost unbelievable. I'll try to tackle that on another podcast. So Toombi is the sister of Raja Bell. We'll get to him in a minute. Now, I don't use these terms loosely, but Toombi became a sister to me, and the Bells became my family. And I definitely don't play about that. I I don't really have much family that I'm still in contact with other than my parents and my brother. That means a lot to me, and I can proudly say that I'm a member of of the Bell family now. They helped me grieve. I don't know how I would have made it through those tough times without them. I had no family down here. I had no job. Things were pretty bad. I don't think I would be where I am today without the support of the Bell family. These are amazing people. So remember, back in 2002, Raja was just getting started in the NBA. He took a circuitous route to get there, but he he kind of made a name for himself in the finals against Kobe, his rookie year. So at this point, he's playing in the league, and he has a townhouse in Miami, That's not being used. He's playing up in Philly. And they offered me the townhouse because they knew I was in a tough place. And he wasn't using it. So, you know, a family member should use it. Raja told me to pay him what I'm comfortable paying. So I grossly underpaid him just like a couple of his NBA contracts. So I proceeded to move into the first home that I could call my own that was actually pretty damn nice. Well, now that I think about it, it had like mirrors all over the walls and it was kind of like 1980-something decor. Kind of had like a Miami Vice feel to it. Florida room in the back. So when Tubbs is away, Crockett will play. No, but I really enjoyed my time there and I got my stuff together Got a good job, and things started heading up. 
not only for me, but for Raja as well. Raja embodies what it means to keep it a hundo. This dude doesn't give a fuck what anybody thinks. Raja was one of the first guys they referred to as a 3 and D guy. He could knock down threes at a high percentage, and he could lock people up defensively. He was first team all defense one year, and he led the league in three-point shooting another year. And he always played with a chip on his shoulder the size of St. Croix. I love and respect the hell out of this guy and his family. This is my conversation with Raja Bell. Have you seen uh, Wild Wild Country on Netflix? No. What's you that? need to see this. What is it? My mind is blown. I, tra- I started checking out the seven, uh, was it seven, seven seconds? seconds? We're yeah. into that. We're like five episodes you in. You like it? Yeah. It's one of those that I got to like, I can't just freestyle and watch it when I want to because Cindy wants to watch it. So we're like, that's one of our shows, uh, but it's dope. So I got to check out Wild Wild. That's how me and my girl work too. Like I have my own shows, then yeah. we have our shows right. and it's <laughs> tough to find our time to Correct. catch up on them. All right. Wild Wild Country is a six part documentary series about this cult in Oregon yeah. from 1980, 81. And I can't believe this happened in our country. Like my mind has been blown since right. I saw it. And I'm trying to get one of the guys who's in the documentary on the podcast. Yeah. Is that deep? Has it been fruitful? Like, are you, are you close? We're uh, Facebook friends. Okay. And uh, we started messaging. Okay. So All we'll right. go from there. <laughs> Traction. There we go. Yeah. Um, it's, so what was the problem? Like, I mean, don't spoil it for me, obviously, but what was the... Uh, he he brought his name's Rajneesh and he's like his family was tight with Gandhi yeah so he like was in the inner circle in India and he has all these followers over there and he basically moved them from their compound in India and found the biggest piece of private land in the whole US yeah. and bought it it in was Oregon. in Oregon in the middle yeah. eastern Oregon like the middle of nowhere and built a commune and Did they built their own city did he start pulling Americans into the city? It's mostly Americans. Really? Mm-hmm. Europeans, Australians, Indians, Americans, yeah. homeless Americans. They started recruiting. Oh, so this like, is, yeah. It is nuts. Some, like, at first, I'm kind of like, I kind of like what these people are about. Kind of. Right. You know, right. like they weren't preaching anything that I was anti. I think that's the whole premise of a cult, right? Like, at first, <laughs> you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And then it goes off the rails. Right. So. <laughs> Hey, check it out. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, and you guys watch anything else? Um, what else is on the list? What are we into right now? Oh, I watch Sneaky Pete on Amazon. That's my other show I'm on don't, right now. Like, don't. Where we are on. You're on. So that was a single for me. So I'm all the way. I'm, I'm through with it. You're caught up. You on season two yet? I, I'm done. Season two. You are? Yeah, so I'm pissed. Like, I, I binge watch the hell out of that every uh, day after. We're halfway through season two. Yeah, it's good. I won't spoil. Last season of Scandal, so regular TV. Like, never seen it. You never seen Scandal? No. It, like, is it something like. Philosophical, you no, just no, no. Uh, I just network TV. I have trouble with. Yeah, There's I did. not much good network so, TV. If I'm being honest, my sister and my mom and Tosh were like, oh, they always talk. About they that. were like, they had parties, and I'm like, what the fuck is the, what is that? And then, uh, you know, I was fucking sitting around one day, and I caught it, and I was like. See, you gotta watch this shit. Like, I'm sure I'd be hooked on it. That's why, like, I'm afraid to even like watch right. an episode because then I'm gonna have to watch seven seasons or whatever the hell. Right. You watch the Americans? Is that the one with the t- the couple? They're like, uh, spy- are they spies? Yeah. But they're like anti. Like, are they like? I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the trailer for it. Looks like something that I I'd be into. But dude, with the four kids, like, there's only so many things you can like, watch. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to squeeze it in when I can get it. Yep. That one's like if you grew up around the same time as us. Yeah. 
you understand like when we were kids how you know it was like commies and all that shit yeah. like Russia was cloak like and dagger shit yeah cloak like, and dagger no with doubt. Dabney Coleman <laughs> yeah exactly like that type of stuff is just like hits home where mm-hmm. I feel like people millennials won't understand that whole yeah our thing of, with Russia a lot of shit they don't understand yeah oh for sure for sure uh, NBA playoffs mm-hmm. alright I heard you say something today on the Canel and Bell or Bell and Canel should be fucking Bell and Canel yeah I don't it really, much better really ring right yeah. Canel and Bell let me let me qualify with whatever I said this morning I was on like three and a half hours of sleep so <laughs> don't fucking hold me to it but what did I say okay Raj is a professional podcaster just uh, FYI he's also a retired NBA player Rajah Bell yep today's guest on keeping it a hundo me and Raja go way back yeah so let's move on to today's topic you mentioned today that the Celtics are going down in the first round yeah okay Oh shit! That's my bad. Yeah, my bad. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> on all days for you to say right. that, I'm like, I'm about to see this guy in about three hours, yeah. and he's on three hours sleep, and he says, "Celtics." You feel you feel strongly about that, or you just yeah, you just throwing it out there? Uh, kind of throwing it out there, but really strongly if they pull the Bucks in the first round because of, like, you, look, you know, like I know, you're going as far as your stars take you in the playoffs, and I don't mean to take any way anything away from the C's or Brad Stevens, who I think is probably probably the best coach in the NBA, if I'm being honest. Like Arguably. He's, he's fantastic. Um, and the young talent is amazing there, mm-hmm. too. They've cultivated it. Uh, they've been able to bring in... You know, I think if you ask these fans, they probably executed the game plan that they set out to execute like six or seven years ago, almost to a T. Yeah. It, it's been remarkable. Didn't miss a beat. a beat. Like, not one thing. Except you can't account for injury. Right. And, you know, that bug has hit them, you know, obviously this year pretty, pretty, pretty strong. And so I think in the playoffs, if I'm being honest, I, I just... If you pull Giannis and that crew long, rangy defensively, you know the season that success against them this year, but I don't think they get past them. I do think though it can be a really good platform for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who I think next year will be as good as Gordon and, and Kyrie are going to be together. Um, Terry Rozier, um, which one of the twins do they got? Uh, Marcus. Right. Like so, those dudes, this playoff series, and the ability for them to carry it on their own without the star power is going to pay off like tenfold next year when you get I agree. Back. This is this is actually cuz they probably weren't going to win a title this year. Right. So it's probably better for them for the next few years to come. I do see them getting past the first round. Uh the Bucks are probably their biggest challenge like I, the Heat did. I don't think they'll struggle with um but anyway, I I feel strongly that Stevens has them in a position to to win games unless they're playing a team that's like far superior to them. So he's really that good though. Like he really he, is. He really is that. The only thing I would say about the Heat, and I'm not going to argue with you because I, I don't I don't like I don't love the Heat. Uh, but suppose another one of those dudes. He's he's one of the top three coaches right. in the league. So that's a tough one. But let me ask you let me ask you a question real quick if you don't mind. What um is there any fear at all about Kyrie and his his injury situation? Sure, sure, I, there has to be. Like he's he's prone, and I love him. I think he's the dopest. I, I, my kids, when I tell them to model their game, like there are a select few that I would have them watch. Kyrie's one of them, but he's injury prone, you know. Like, and so as a C's fan, like, yeah, he hasn't played a lot of full seasons in the NBA. Yeah, that's a problem. He's twenty five, I think. Yeah, he's still young. Yeah, it's a, it's a problem. I, I, what's the deal with them taking those wires out of his knee? Like, I've never heard that. Yeah, I. 
it's a good question. Is it a mistake? Are they supposed to dissolve? Like, I don't... No, I think it might have been something structurally. Like, I got a few pins left in my wrist. But usually they, they leave them in. They leave them. So I, I, what I think they said was there, like, maybe some kind of infection developed. I mean, I, I, I'm not in the... I don't, I don't mean I'm not in the know with that, but anyway, I was just I was just curious because I'm one of the guys that's like, I think he kind of gets a pass on how much how much he's injured, and it's concerning because he's so young and he's yeah. had so many injuries. I had, I mean I felt the same way about it, and signing him to a long term deal was like, oh man, this guy earned it, but I don't feel good about this. Like I don't want a injured it at five foot eight, <laughs> at age thirty making yeah. twenty five mil a year. Right. It's a, Salary cap nightmare. Mm-hmm. So who do you see coming out of the East? Like my intellectual basketball self says that they're better teams than the Cavs when I watch easily what Toronto's done, right? Like, but I, I will not take anyone but the Cavs. Like I can't go against LeBron right now. He's still the best player in the world. He still can you see like when they're losing by seventeen and he just grabs the ball and just wins the game? And he wins. So, the game. It's over. Right. The question for me is like, is this the year where supporting catch? Because there have been times that Rodney Hood, two years ago, Rodney Hood was really good in Utah. Last year, he kind of fell off a little bit. I was hoping they'd get the old Rodney Hood. He, he's shown bits and pieces, flashes. Uh, I, I think the tread is running thin on, like, J.R. Smith. That was great. You got some great years out of him in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. When we draft, when we, so I was in Cleveland when we made the trade. Right. And I was on the phone with the owners. They were asking our front office about, the trade for Shump and JR. And no one wanted JR. But the, the Knicks didn't want JR. So we had to take JR in the deal to get Shump. Mm-hmm. Here's a throwing. Yeah. And so I remember saying to them on the phone, like, look, at the end of the day, we're getting Shump. We're getting Shump as a, as a consolation for JR. JR is going to be the, the prize piece in this. Like, I felt strongly about his, his ability and the way it would mesh with LeBron. Right. I thought that at the end of the day, what happened would kind of happen that JR would wind up having the more meaningful career there in in, um, in Cleveland. So it was interesting the way that played out, but I think the time is kind of up on what the real contribution can be for him. And so I worry that LeBron's not going to be enough singularly this year. If Kevin, Kevin Love has to play really well in playoffs. Absolutely. I'm surprised they haven't got more out of the, the young guys they traded for. At this point, yeah. I expected them to come over like so happy to be playing with LeBron and the chance to win a championship and mm-hmm. just be soaking everything up. And they look like they're just doing what they were doing in L.A. Kind of yeah, it's, it's boxing, Nance. It's interesting, right? Because like when they fir- the first game they came there, the yeah. first game, everybody was dancing. Yep. Right? It was like freedom. And we're going to get to play with LeBron and we're out of our own situation. And, and you thought that that's what it was going to look like going forward. This isn't a knock on LeBron. I don't want to mistake it. Like, want it to come off as one. But when you play with a dude that's that good with the ball, you know, sometimes it puts you in a weird place if you need the ball. True. And I didn't factor in how much, like, Jordan Clarkson's game needed the ball. Like, those are guys, they're not just spot-up shooters like Kyle Korver or J.R. Smith. Right. They're kind of tweeners where they need it a little bit, but they're not pure shoot. You know, it's a weird. And so sometimes I can throw you off when you guys sit there and watch LeBron because he's fantastic. And so maybe, you know, maybe that's just throwing that rhythm off a little bit. I figured Nance would be a great fit because he's a will guy. He's just a, you know, crime. He's, he's the, yeah, like he's, Tristan or something. Correct. He's the one. I think if you if you really analytically went down and maybe just asked someone there, I think he's probably been the most solid one consistently since they got him. And the numbers might not bear that out in terms of points and stuff, but the contribution, like night in and night out, he guards everybody. 
I've just been looking at the minutes, and I'm kind of surprised he, sometimes. Like his minutes have gone below twenty. Have games. they really? Yeah. That's so to me, since, it's like, are they resting him? Is he banged up? Since or? Love is back. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. He got a lot of a lot of bodies, bro. Yeah. Minutes. I mean, shit. I'm dealing with that on a fifth grade team. <laughs> like I want to play him. I don't have enough fucking minutes. What do you yep, want to do? Yeah. Who's coming out of the West? Is anybody? Dethrone in Golden State or is Houston besides Houston Golden State? Uh, is anybody making it out of it? Um, bro, I yeah no, I don't think so. Okay, so but it's one of those two. I think it is one of those two. Having said that, like Portland, Portland is a sneaky good team. I don't know that those two guards are enough. I, you know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, neither of them really defend at a high level either. Yeah, it's and not, they're small. And they're small. Right, like, and that's like you've almost doubled down on. I mean, they're bigger than IT, but you've kind of doubled down on that. Yeah, um, that's built for regular season and a lot of wins there. I, I look, I know people don't fucking love this, but that Minnesota OKC thing, because of the way they're built, because of the stars across the board, size, like, will grind you out and get physical. Um, they're scary. Don't think either one could come out of the West, but scary. If Melo could play that Team USA. Stretch four, knock right. down threes at a high rate, and defensive rebound, and that's about it. They're tough. So we got, I mean, like this might be a saying other places, but I grew up down here in Miami, and so the saying was, if ifs was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. <laughs> right? So like, yeah, fuck, if Melo, like that's what they've been screaming all year. And I think Melo, if they have some patience with it next year, like, kind of like you talked about the Cs, I think Melo has much, has much more, firm footing in that role than he had this year. It's a hard role to ask a dude to just morph into for a whole season. But I agree with you 100%. Like, if he'll do that um, and just really take that that back seat a little bit, it can be really dangerous. So you got Cleveland and one of the top teams in the West, Houston and Golden State Mm -hmm. coming out. All right. Let's talk about you a little bit. All right. Your background uh, coming up. Grew up in St. Croix. Yeah. Moved here when you were... 13, 12, 13. Okay. Uh, you were not a superstar coming out of high school. You were not highly recruited. Right. Got a couple mid-major offers. Who who offered you? BU? Uh, BU offered me, uh, like a lot of the Ivies offered me. I, you know, I was, was FIU on you right away? No. You know, interestingly enough, no. Like FIU, I, nor, Miami nor FIU ever contacted me in any, like not even a, a form letter, which is what we called them back then, which was just introducing right, themselves. Right, right. And I didn't get anything from them, so I had a lot of, I had a lot of like the the mid majors. I had, you know, I went on visits to West Point and and BU and LSU. Actually, later in the process, got involved, but like I love Dale Brown. I just didn't believe kind of what he was saying to me, and I wanted to play right away. Mm-hmm. So I went with what I was comfortable with, and it's a tough thing. Some people can go sit a few years, but I was a kid who needed to play. Like, I was still trying to figure out who I was, so I felt like the best opportunity was a smaller school. You mentioned on uh, Canel and Bell the other day a story about when you were at BU and you had to host a recruit. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to hear that story again. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Because it's I, crazy. I, I was involved in that process, too, when I was I was playing football at a you know a yeah. low-level school, too, but... It's an interesting concept when they're like, oh, yeah, you're, you're the quarterback of the team and we got this new quarterback coming in. He's a year behind you. We want you to host him and show him a great time. Yeah, take him out. What? Yeah, right. I was <laughs> like, <laughs> so that was, I think, the beginning of the end for me at BU. Um, you were there for what, two seasons? I was there for two seasons. I got rookie of the year my first year. In the league. In the league, yeah. And there was a kid ahead of me, Tunji Awajobi. Yep, I remember he was a dominant player oh, in that man. league. Yeah, dominant. And, and like six, seven, undersized four, but just absolute man child. Yeah. Um, 
and he had been the rookie of the year before me. So uh, we, we, we had some good, we had a bunch of good pieces in place and, you know, I was, I was fiery. Like I, I grew up in Miami where you had Charlie Miller who went to Indiana, mm -hmm. the Edwards brothers, you know, mm -hmm. Stevie went to Miami. Allen was my year, went to Kentucky. Right. Um, Huey Futch went to Temple, Temple, Damian McKnight to Penn State, and I, I'm at BU. So I was hungry. Like, I didn't, you know, I wanted my place at the table. Were you, like, all league in high school, stuff like oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was all city First and, and all, yeah, yeah. I was all okay. that stuff. I mean, I, I, I averaged 28 a game and stuff like oh, that. Oh, you but, did? Yeah, but okay. for some reason, like, my, you know, I was, like, 6'5", 175. Right. So, you know, people probably looked at me and were like, yeah, that's not going to translate. Ooh, yeah. It was cool, though, but the point was when I got to BU, I, I, I wanted, like, heads to roll everywhere. And given any opportunity, I was I was gonna do it. So, you know, we'd be in practice, and coach would be like, "Hey, man, if you let him face cut you one more time, like you're not, you know, this is the penalty." And I was the asshole that was just I mean, the rest of the practice I was trying to face cut you because, like, it's just the way I was wired. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, um, Dennis Wolf came to me, and I wasn't a Dennis Wolf recruit. I was a Bob Brown recruit, mm -hmm. and Dennis Dennis got the job, and they made. They made sure they came in and like wanted to keep me because it was late in the process and they weren't going to be able to get probably anything better than me at the time. So um, he asked me to host a kid, forget the kid's name, but he was me plus. Like he was a little bigger than me, like <laughs> right, like a little. And and I was I didn't know any better at the time. I just I could have probably said no, but I was too dumb. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do what I got to do. And then it started dawning on me the night before, like what, like this kid is they're bringing him in. And I just had it. I was salty. So like he showed up in my room. Like I, I I talked to him for a little while. I hit him with I don't even know what the fuck I said to him. But I didn't see the kid again for like the rest of the weekend. And <laughs> <laughs> the coach, you know, coach brought me in the next Monday and was like, Raj, what the like, what are you doing? And I just remember being like, what? I don't know what exactly verbatim what I said to him, but it was essentially like, look, man, if you think I'm going to be helping you bring in my replacement, you got the <laughs> wrong one. <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I, I appreciate you having the boss to tell him that. Oh, well, he didn't. And that's why the relationship, they thought I was, he's probably not the first or only person to think I was crazy. I was different. I was, and if I'm being honest, man, like if you talk to any of my coaches, I firmly believe the reason why I was able to do what I did was because of that with attitude. what I got mm -hmm. was because of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And everybody I know that grew up in Miami and they saw you coming up through the, you know, I got down here later when you were out of college and yeah. everything, but um, they all say the same thing. If Roger didn't have that chip on his shoulder, he would never would have made no, it. No, dime a dozen. Mm -hmm. You end up transferring from BU to FIU, for those of you who don't know the story. Yep. Uh, when you're at FIU... You're what all league, all that you know, yeah. everything's going well. Mm -hmm. Carlos Arroyo is playing with you. Yeah, you guys got a nice squad. Yeah, we got a really good squad. Yeah, two pros in the backcourt for Trans American Conference at first, and then Sunbelt. I mean, that's kind of oh, they did go to Sunbelt while you were there, yeah, which was really you know, shaky Marco Shaky Rodriguez. Mm -hmm. Like, for yeah, like he was he was our coach, and he saw me one year in the farm ed league, it was at FIU, and he knew that I didn't want to go back to BU. And, and real talk, I wanted to play for Miami. Like, and that's why I told everybody at Boston I was playing for Miami. And, and that's probably why when you went to pick up games at UM, you were going, like, I've heard the stories. Oh, I, I tried to assassinate people. Yeah. Like, I was out for, like, that That was, you know, they had a window up in the in mm -hmm. the heck. At the heck. And every time I walked in, I was, I was crazy. Every Anytime I walked in there, I would convince myself that Leonard Hamilton was up in the window watching. And so, from the time I was 16, I was wired to hit that floor and try to kill whoever played for Miami. So, 
Like, even if it meant, like, literally trying to kill him. Yeah. Like, I, I heard about the fights. Right? I heard about a few of them. So, uh, Stink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Stink. Like John, and Johnny Hemsley was a hell of a player. Like, and these were guys that Johnny I was... Johnny was nice. Johnny was a bad boy. Um, but Ham was frank. He told me, sat me down, and was like, look, man, I got... He told me I have five pros. He was like, and so I don't know if I can get you in the... You know, I don't know if I... ended up making, like, four of those yeah. NBA players. So, what could I say? Like, I was like, all right. And then Shake ran up on me and was like, look, we're going to play, like, Loyola Marymount. We're going to get up and down and try to lead the nation to scoring. I want you to have the ball. So I was like, all right, well, then let's do it. And we had a couple transfers. Damian McKnight left Penn State. Um, we had a kid named Gene Durkak, who's one of my good buddies from New Jersey, who could score it. Darius Cook. A lot of kids from home. Um, and we had a lot of success, man. And, and so we lost to College of Charleston, who was a top 25 team in the championship Wait game. Wait a minute. Is that where the beef between you and Mike Finney started? No, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that still plays itself out. In that's like, hilarious. It still plays itself out, bro. In uh, <laughs> fifth grade games, it plays itself out. Oh, so out you've to known day. him from back then? For, not fifth grade, no. But from back then, yes, I've known him from like when he was at in high school and I was in high school. Um, but we got fifth grade kids that compete now. Oh yeah, MJ, his son, and yeah. they're on the rival, the two best teams in South oh, Florida. Really? Oh, dude, it's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. MJ's a big dude. MJ's good. Yeah, uh, he's he's good. Grandpa, look, granddad's in it now, like my dad and his dad. But we're we're cool. <laughs> we're cool. That's funny. Um, it is fucking funny. But so we lose, we lose the College of Charleston, and it prompted Shake to kind of have this knee-jerk reaction, I think, because we didn't make the tournament or the NIT. And they, they flipped us into the Sun Belt the next year. And you don't just walk into a new conference and, and win it. We were primed to run through the, the TAC next year and get our first you know, NCAA bid in a long time, and we would have made some noise. Like We wound up beating Michigan. We beat Alabama. We beat, I mean, we, we, we beat Penn State. They stole one from us in Arizona, like fouled me out with five minutes to go. We were beating Jason Terry and Luke Walton and Richard Jefferson at their place. And so we were a really good team that just got caught up in switching conferences and not knowing the landscape of a new conference. So we didn't we didn't get the tournament. Was there a moment when you were at FIU where you realized, like, I think I can make a living playing ball or even to the next level? I I can I can play in the NBA Uh, or we was there was always doubt. Because you weren't really getting that respect that you felt like you deserved. Yeah, I felt like, okay, so after my freshman year at BU, I take you back. There's a pool of players that are the best freshmen in the country and then the best incoming freshmen in the country. And they were brought into what they called the Olympic Festival. Right. There were four teams. Each team had, I don't know, 12 kids on it. So you're talking about the top 48 to 60 kids in the country. And I got selected to that out of Which is roughly year. what gets drafted every year. Right. 60 guys. Right. So they throw them in. And I'm playing like Paul Pierce is on my team. Tractor Trailer. You know, Matt Harpering's there. You name it in that era. And All we the were, first round picks from that we era. Were there. So at the time, like I was so young. I didn't, it didn't, it didn't click that maybe, you know, people saw me like that. But then you fast forward to FIU and I was just kind of loving to play ball. Matty, I was a hoop like junkie. I grew up in a gym. My dad coached. So I was having a conversation the other day at a barbecue about work and explaining the work that goes into being a pro. And someone was asking me about it. I said, you know what? It never seemed like work. It was just what I love to do. Like I fell in love with, with the game and everything that, that made you good at it. And so that was never work. So to answer your question, it didn't matter. Like I just loved it. Because you were going to be devoted to it I, anyway. I was playing. Yeah. yeah. It's what else was I going to do? So we went to Arizona for that tournament. It was, the, it was the holiday festival out there. It was us, Penn State, Arizona, and someone else. So they match Arizona up with some some cupcake, and they match Penn State up with some cupcake. Were you guys are the cupcake. We were cupcake. Um, and so we drilled Penn State. Like I had like twenty five and was just dunking all over them. And we had a, we like we had fun with that. 
So then we get Arizona the next night. And I had probably 23 through, I don't know, three quarters of a game. And I'm lighting like I'm, Jason Terry and I are going at it, and we're lighting them up. Like we're up like six. We're having a, we're having a good day. Uh, AJ Bramlett's kind of hurting us inside, but um, they found me out. You got Miles Simon at that point. No, Miles had left. They oh, won okay. the year before, so Miles oh, okay. and maybe so were gone. After. Yeah, Edgerson, Eugene Edgerson. Eugene Edgerson, maybe they had a lot of young kids. They were young, but all like McDonald's All Americans with Jason Terry. Okay, so we were um, we were we were in that ass, and I was posting up Jet on the block like mid post. With about five minutes to go, um, and they threw an entry pass, and the whistle blew, and I'm like, "Yeah, dog, I'm going to the line. We're going up eight, and they called a fucking offensive foul, and got me right out of the game. And I mean, it was just home cooking, like yeah, you've never yeah. seen home cooking. They can't lose their own tournament, right? So, but after that game, I come out and I'm looking for my dad, and a dude runs up on me, and he's like, "Hey, man, I'm Pete Babcock," and I'm like, him. "I'm like, okay, Hawks GM, yeah." And he's like, and he introduced himself as I'm the Hawks GM. He said, I was here to see, you know, a lot of guys. Yeah. You weren't one of them. Yeah. He was like, but I'm going to tell you, I rated you as the highest player at this event. He was like, I think you could play in the NBA. That was kind of a moment that was when me. you. Yeah. That's and, cool. Yep. And from there, it was, you know. You, you ended up going to camp with Atlanta, didn't you? I did, but I didn't, like, I was hoping to go to Portsmouth, like, or, or, like, I knew I wasn't going to go to Chicago, but maybe yeah. Portsmouth. Yeah. I didn't get an invite to that. Um, I'm surprised. I had one workout, like not even like the heat. I was in their backyard. Like nobody even offered me a workout. And I got one call and it was fucking Pete Babcock. And he, he called me in and he was, he, he, you know, he was like, look, I got a workout. I think someone had even dropped out. So I go up and it's Melvin Levitt, um, Chris Heron and wow. uh, yeah, Quincy Lewis from, from, yeah. from, uh, from Minnesota. And, you know, we go in and we bench press and we do all of our, you know, our measurables and shit. And we hit the court. I've never been to one, so I'm nervous as shit. But I know what all these guys do. Like Quincy shoots, uh, you know, Melvin jumps out the gym, and Chris Heron is just, you know, he's a magician with the ball, tough as shit. And so I'm like, what the get what to are the, you, get in the paint? Yeah, what are you gonna do at this workout? I went 40 on the vert that day. I matched Melvin. Um, I shot this like I shot the hell out of the ball, and then I, I I was really better off the bounce than I normally am. So I just had this really really good out of the blue workout. And then I went back to FIU to just finish trying to get my degree and whatnot. They told me that there was a possibility that they would draft me second. I mean, not second. They had, a, they had like six draft picks. They had the second to last pick in the draft. And they were like, look, if you're still around at the second to last pick, we think we're going to take you. I was like, what? You know, I was sitting, you remember 55, my parents' old house with that little Florida room and the bad like fake leather couches out back? Yeah. So we, we sat there all night until that last second to last pick. And we were like, here, you know. Here it goes. It was small, though. It was my parents, my sister, um, a couple other people, and they picked a dude, and his name was Roberto Bergeson. But when he started saying wow. it, we were like, what the <laughs> fuck? And then it was Roberto Bergeson. So, you know, it was it was cool, but I was able to go to camp with them, play some preseason. I wasn't ready, and that kind of got me into some some uh, some CBA drafts. Uh, speaking like that. of that that preseason with the Hawks, did you help anybody pass any piss tests? <laughs> Yeah, Yeah. so we had, um, I didn't wind up helping him because I was scared out of my mind, but they had traded for J.R. Smith. No, 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 no. J.R. Ryder. Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ryder. J.R. Ryder. Jesus, J.R. Smith. J.R. Ryder. So J.R. was an interesting dude. Good dude. Like, good dude, man. Like, took care of Rooks. Um, But look, J.R. marched to the beat of his own shit. Like, he was... (laughs) They told him, Lenny Wilkins told him he had to wear a a shirt, like a, a jacket... And and shoes was Lenny's was Lenny's uh, traveling outfit. Jacket and shoes was the only criteria. 
So JR comes to me one night in the hotel. He's like, yo, young fella, you got some shoes I could... I was like, I had these Havana Joes. They were like the boots at the time. So I gave him my, one of my Havana Joes. I got at Friedman's like a couple days ago. And, um, you know, I'm sitting on the plane like bright and early, like waiting. You know, I'm 30 minutes early waiting. JR comes on last and he's in uh, a pair of like windbreaker sweatpants. He's in my Havana Joes. And he's in a leather jacket with no shirt underneath it. <laughs> and that's his fucking outfit. But he checked the boxes, bro. He had a jacket yeah. and he had his shoes. So, like, we're at Tennessee Chattanooga. Uh, piss test day. Back then, you only had one. And they weren't watching you hold your shit. In the, like, now they're, like, on top of you. They want to see you pee in the cup. But so, I go in the stall. I'm nervous. So, I, you know, I'm sitting down on the toilet. Like, I got I to gotta do this before we get out on the court. Or I'm gonna, um, and I hear somebody, like, tapping on the stall wall. Like, I'm looking around, like, what is going on? And so he taps on it again, and he's like, yo, who's that? And I was like, you know, I tell him who it is. And he slides the cup. He says, yo, fella, and you think you could go ahead and handle it? <laughs> and I told him, like, I, you know, I'm usually cool, man. I'm not a saint, but I was like, look, bro, I'm just trying to make the team, man. I can't I, I can't be pissing for you, dog. So I declined to help He didn't even ask test. if you had the clean pee either. He didn't even, no, even he know. didn't care. He knew his wasn't. He knew it was cleaner than his. <laughs> You're coming out. You're not really. You don't. You don't get drafted. Yeah. Do you remember everybody who got drafted before you? No. You can't like be like I can't believe this dude went second round. This dude went late first round. He didn't last. He didn't. No. I. You didn't hold grudges against everybody who went before you because there's too many people. I guess. Oh, it was too many people. So I only held the grudges against the ones the Hawks drafted. Okay. Like those I know. Okay. I dry, those I know. And so. Who they take that year? They took Jason Terry, who I couldn't. I couldn't beef with. And then with the early pick, I think number three. Then they took Dion Glover, who was a really good friend of mine. We we were like tight during camp and stuff like that. But he was coming off of ACL. Yeah. That was way too high for me to go. So I, I wasn't. And they took Cal Bowler out of Old Dominion. Yeah. Um, and then they took Roberto Bergerson. <laughs> oh, yeah. And right. I couldn't get to any of the other ones. Picks. They had four picks. Yeah. I couldn't get to the, any of the other ones because I wasn't in the. But I, Roberto wound up playing in the CBA. And like, I don't mean to, to put Did the you get to go at him a little bit did, in the CBA? Did, did I? Um, and I felt bad because, like, I used to try to, again, annihilate that. <laughs> but one particular night, we're in Boise. He's playing in Boise. And he kind of grabs my shirt. Like, we had, two of my friends and I had elected not to ride the bus up to Boise. Because they were putting both teams on a bus. Something from, happened like, with Yakima? It, from Yakima, bro. <laughs> so you were going up through the pass on a bus. And both teams were on one bus, which was unheard of. And we were like, look, we'll just drive. My man had a Tahoe. We'll drive. We made a wrong turn somewhere. So we don't wind up in Boise until like an hour before the game the next day. We're like lost. So I'm already on edge, right? And we got to go out there and play Roberto. Like I shower and try to wake myself up before the game. And then somewhere in the second quarter, Roberto, as I'm trying to leave, I'm trying to get up the court on our fast break, grabs my jersey from behind. And I didn't even think. I just swung back like to get him off of me. You know, it wasn't like the, it was just like get off me type of swing. And I clipped him right on his, like, it must have clipped him right on the on the temple or something. And so all I heard behind me was, boom. And I looked back, and he had split his face open on the floor. Like, and blood was just pooling out. I think he took, like, 17 stitches across his face or something like that. I felt Damn. awful. Um, it wasn't because he was Roberto, but it wound up, it wound up being You were Roberto. playing with a little fire that day, though, anyway. Yeah, I was all so. jacked up. I don't yeah. know what I was on. Was there anybody who you would credit with kind of helping you that actually got in the gym with you and and showed you what you need to work on to to bring your game to the next level my dad i i never 
all of these like skill development dudes, I didn't have the benefit of any of that. Yeah. I mean, I mean the most of what I had, but if I had had that, I would have been a different player. A lot of us would have. We just did. They weren't at our disposal. It wasn't. It wasn't. Then. First of all, it was the money thing because yeah. you know you like, didn't grow up like that. I didn't grow up like that, but it wasn't as popular back then either. It wasn't like it wasn't. They, they're they're everywhere now. Like yeah. I, you know, and my dad shagged balls for me and worked out with me, like when he was I don't know fifty five years old. My, I would shoot a rep of 20 on whatever drill we're doing and then I'd rebound from my dad yep. and he'd shoot a rep of 20. You probably saw us down in playing University in Miami those, Gym. Playing in those over 50, over 60 yeah, tournaments. That's still, right. Getting ready for his three on threes. That's and, right. And so everything I know about the game was from watching him play it. Like, and I watch pros, but the fiber of who I was as a player was him, you know? Like, and so I, what, what I was able to do, I think, and, and my, dad will, my dad or anyone who knows me because they communicated with me through the process of going through... What they would do is after a CBA season, they would take like 30 or 40 guys from the CBA that were that were deemed close to being NBA ready. Take them to like, say, San Antonio or Detroit or somewhere like that. And I went to like five or six of them. And they would just have you knock heads against each other for like two, three days. Straight meat market type of cream shit. Cream rises like, to the top. Rise, yeah, bro. But what would happen at these things was, you know, guys would, guys would just be obsessed with buckets. Guys would be obsessed. And... You know, I just, I wasn't built like that. I was, Find your niche. And yeah, and do it. And so I played hard. Um, I scored when I got the chance, but I defended. I did I did the stuff that a lot of people didn't put stock in. And believe it or not, it separated me from the rest of them because they were so obsessed with getting buckets. And so, you They're know, not looking for a go-to guy when they, they come in that CBA. Right. They drafted him in the first fucking right. round. Like, you got to figure out what you can do for them that they can't get a first-round draft pick to do. And so... I think that I got that better than a lot of guys did. And that's ultimately what allowed me to like catch on somewhere. That's huge. You found a role. Yep. Which led to Philly. Yeah. So you signed a 10-day with Philly in what, 2001, 2000? Two, two, yeah, 2001. Right. Like late April, I think. Right. Yeah. So it's the end of the season. Philly's what? The, the one seed? Yeah. The, the one seed in the East. They sign you to a 10-day. And what? You end up starting in the finals? Yeah, it was it was banana against Kobe. It, against Kobe, so it, it was funny way it went down because I got hurt that year. Like I hurt, like I fractured like my non weight bearing bone. Like over I, in Spain, or no, was I, that that year? No, this was in the CBA. Oh, okay. um, Jamel Thomas hit me with a blind screen, Providence. Yeah, oh, he likes just, to get buckets. Yeah, he likes to get buckets and got them <laughs> a lot of them um, on me. But it broke my leg, and so I'm at the crib, and you know I'm not healthy. I go back to I go to Sioux Falls to play a couple games because I know Randy Livingston and my man Carlos. Uh, Daniel is out there, and I don't even suit up for a game before I get the call from the Sixers. Randy was a high school legend. Randy, Randy was my host at L in my LSU visit. Oh wow! Yeah, so me and Randy go way back. But anyway, I get the call from the Sixers, and it winds up, I guess that that like Popovich and and Larry Brown are really good friends. And I had been in camp with the Spurs that year. They signed me, but didn't keep me. And um, Pop spoke like he just highly he regarded me very highly, and and the way I went about my business. So Larry gave me a shot, and only because they had pulled the tra trade from Matumbo. And in the deal, Pepe Sanchez wasn't returned to them in enough time to make the playoff roster. Oh. So they just needed another body. And and so they called me up, and it went from, like, zero to 100, like, like that. Like, it was me on the finals floor against Kobe. And I I credit, like, the fact that I could survive uh, with, with how fast it happened. Because if I had any time to think about it, I think I would have been a shook. I think the moment would have consumed me. Right. But it happened so fast. That I didn't have time to think about it. It was just on me. And I was like, it was, you know, fight or flight at that point. Like, you just, you know, bite and hold on for dear life, you know? So, it was it was really fast. 
um, and surreal. In the moment, it, it felt like I knew what was happening, but when I look back at it, I really had no idea what was what was taking place. You're in the backcourt with Bubba Chuck. Bubba Chuck and <laughs> bro, like he, he's in the locker room asking Larry Brown, like, where the where the fuck did you find him? And Larry Brown's like, yeah, he's Neo. He's built like you are. Like it really, really cool shit. People told me, like pros were like, hey man, like you soak this soak this up because this can go fast. And you and you like, might not get another chance. You never know. And I was that young, dumb, like happy to be there. But I never went back to the finals. Right. And my career went by so fast, Maddie B. It was gone. Like, and so I sit back now and I'm like, bro, it was. It felt like it was a lifetime, but it was gone in a in a. It in doesn't a matter seem of that long ago either, right? Nope. I remember. Like I remember sitting where I was watching you play in that finals. Yeah. I remember sitting and being like, "How is like how was that? I know that guy. <laughs> well, what's he doing?" <laughs> And everybody's just rooting for you. I was with all you know, all the Miami guys. It was, uh, you know, my family's from Philly, like my mom's whole yep. family, and so my buddies are all up in Jersey. So to be able to do that and have everybody up there experience those finals with me and uh, and be involved in some of those moments, like my cousins were all up there, um, and then and then to know that people in Miami, like as they would call me and be like, "Bro," because no one knew, like you didn't have social yeah. media, I couldn't yeah, tweet yeah. or. Instagram that I got a call up mm-hmm. like you and that wasn't coming across the wire back then so literally the first that people knew about it was when they looked up at the at the Eastern Conference Finals and I was on there like catching the dunk and people my phone was blowing up so it, it was really really cool it was a cool experience why'd you do the Celtics like that though <laughs> I did you did get me to some of those games yeah, so I appreciate yeah, yeah, that yeah no doubt man those were good times and yeah. doing the doing the shimmy oh bro how good were those teams they were fun. I mean, they weren't built to, to last, but they were fun. No, that Putting did. up tons of threes. Tons of buckets. Yep. Yep. Can uh, Iverson really run a four-minute mile? Is that what's... So, I don't know. I heard, I heard... He might. Look, he's a freak. He can, like, run... Like, lap everybody running. And he's an absolute freak of nature. Uh, like, he's... Real, real talk. He's the type of dude that could come in like him. Like, you know, like yeah. he's lit. And go for 45, 50... Like, you know, I, I could play, like, on a, on one, like, not a problem, but I'm not going to give you, you know, he was just, I, I don't know if it's, like, just something different inside of him, but he's wired different. Well, yeah, so speaking of that wiring, is he the kind of guy, like, he doesn't need to do, like, the whole pregame ritual and be, like, all focused and put his, he's he just chilling. He doesn't need anything but the ball. Yeah. Like, he needs no prep. Like, like and, and honestly... The whole time I was with him, and you know, I didn't roll with Chuck like that, so I don't know what he did. I never saw him work out. I, I never saw him work out. I never saw him like work on that crossover. I never saw him work on his jump shot. I never saw him lift the weight. Like I never saw him do anything except get buckets mm-hmm. and like just be an absolute warrior. Mm-hmm. So how were you wired? Were you the kind of guy like obviously you had your routines and whatnot, yeah. but like, did you need to be locked in before the game? Yeah, get yeah. Your, I was, you know, your shots up, yes. everything. I was a uh, like live in the gym type of dude, so you know if we had a shooting machine, like I'd have that set up on off days. Or Cindy was there rebounding when my dad couldn't be. Like Cindy started rolling with me, and she'd shag balls for me, um, and I just shot, 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 shot. And then on game days, I wanted to be y'all had my routine of makes from a certain spot. Like I had my routine of like what I ate and when I took my nap. Like I was a real creature of habit. I like to keep it as predictable as I could. Um, and it, it worked for me. But prior to the game, like, I'd try to get myself, like, I'd be locked into my music and stuff. And then uh, I would want to get as fired up as I could get, like, without going over the top. 
because you could take it to a point where you're too fired up and it, it backfires. But I'd like to try to get right to the to the top of where I could get and still be under control. I heard JJ Reddick talking in his podcast about being a shooter yep. and how like being a shooter, you have to be like, you know, your OCD and all that yep. stuff like Ray Allen was. Did you see yourself in that vein? I mean, you were you were a shooter at some point in your career. Yeah. One of the best in the league, led the league one year or yep. whatever. But when you were coming up, you weren't a shooter. You were a scorer. You were a, a basketball player. Yeah. Um, so did you ever like in your preparation in your mind did you transition into that yeah type of player kind of I did because my first few years with Philly and Dallas they didn't I wasn't allowed to shoot necessarily I mean I did because right. I had a necessity but I was there to defend and what did you shoot the three at in at FIU probably high 30s okay so you, like, you were making shots yeah I made shots I just wasn't like I, I was dunking and getting to the rack and you know I was a slasher yeah. I wasn't necessarily a shooter but as you get to different levels and the athleticism gets better, it becomes you know exponentially harder to do that. So you gotta, you know, you don't do it at the same rate. And now you gotta do something else. Um, when I got to Utah, they, John Stockton and 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 Carl Malone had just retired, so all of us young guys had to had to chip in offensively. So it was my first real platform to score the ball, and I was still a well-rounded scorer at that time. I was you know like twelve a game, and then maybe thirteen a game or something like that in my two years at Utah. And it was, I shot the three better and more often just because I was on the court more. But I still had mid-post, stuff off the bounce, mid-range. Like, that was my, what I had been in college, I was now that in the NBA. Steve Nash, I had played with him in Dallas, and they wanted me to come over and play with them and Joe Johnson. And that team wasn't supposed to blow up. I was just supposed to be added to it. Um, but when I got there, Steve, and I say this, like, affectionately, like, because they were the best thing that ever happened to me, both financially and personally and and experience-wise, those teams were my favorite bar none. But it kind of took me into, like, I was becoming, like, I would have never been a good enough all-around scorer to carry a team. No mistakes about that. Sure. And it probably would have kept me in a fledgling, like, role because I wasn't good enough to do it at the NBA level. When I got to Phoenix, I had to become a shooter because the ball was Steve's. Steve made all the plays. Amari finished, you know, and, and my job was to snipe. So at that point, I had to start figuring out, like, how do I become the best shooter I can become? So let's scrap, like, all this stuff I'm going to do in the offseason, off the bounce. Like, I, my Don Kelbick, coach at FIU, he is who I would lean on as a pro to do my skill development work. <clears throat> and it was less, like, skill development with us and more him tuning my shot. So him and a guy named Marvin Harvey, who, the, who they call him the shot doc, um, up in Tampa, I would get with them in the summers, and I scrapped all, like, ball handling. And I just, I just morphed into a shooter. This is what I'm going to do. This is my niche now. I'm going to defend and shoot. And with that became, like with that, the OCD came. Like the, all right, I got I to gotta see it going this way. Like I got to make this many shots. Like that one wasn't, it went in, but it didn't feel right. Um, you know, I, this is my routine. Like all of that did come with, with the obsession with shooting and kind of morphing my game into a shooter. That's the best way you could add value to your team. Yeah. And that's being a good teammate, to be honest. And a lot of guys don't see it like that. They want to add value to themselves so they can get their next contract. Sure. You were actually helping your team. I was trying to. And, you know. Uh, and helping yourself at the same time. At the same course. time, yeah. yeah. And and once I figured out that Mike D'Antoni really wanted me to shoot. Because no one, no one, even Jerry, rather you not shoot the three, he wanted you to get. It was a tougher brand of basketball. So Mike was on the forefront of no one had ever told me. He said, like, I got 400 threes. You got to shoot them. 
I was like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, what? He was like, look, I got 400 vacated threes. Like, someone's <laughs> got to shoot them. And so I remember in Oklahoma City one night, I was 0 for 10, I think. Like, and, and I did not want to shoot another shot. I was 0 for 9. Yeah. And he looked in my eyes in timeout, and he was like, you catch that next ball, you better shoot it. <laughs> and so I missed it. Like, I was just – and we went to L.A. the next night. And so he came to me in my locker, like, at the lowest point. Like, I was feeling bad. Um, and he said, Raj, he sat down, and he said, look, you're a 40% three-point shooter. He said, the law averages are clearly in your favor that the next nine, ten shots you shoot, they're going in. He was like, so tomorrow night, you just know they're going in. (laughs) I went like eight for nine from three that night in L.A. So having a dude like that um, in my corner, like mentally and emotionally, really helped me, man. It just freed me up. Historically, Mike D'Antoni will never get his just due, but the dude revolutionized the game. Unless he wins a championship, he's probably not going to be recognized as one of the best coaches of his generation yeah. or whatever. But in my eyes, like, there's two things you can do. You can win a ton of championships or you can revolutionize the game. Right. Those are, like, two of the, the lasting impressions you can leave on. And he did that. And he did it. And, you know, a guy, somebody asked me, I think I was on Mark Strickland a year and a half, two years ago. And he asked me uh, if Mike's system can win. And I said, Golden State's winning with it right now. Like, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... It's, it it's, clearly can win. It can win. It has won. It just, we didn't have the formula right for one way or for, for one reason or another. We caught some bad breaks with some injuries and, and you guys came very close. Some ejections and some <laughs> suspensions, but yeah. you know, I agree with you, Maddie B like Mike, Mike's fingerprints are all over this and I'm, I'm cheering for him because obviously I, I got a soft spot for Mike, but him and his family are great people, man. His brother, Dan D'Antoni, mm-hmm. like they're, they're just really salt to the earth people. And so you couldn't, he's a great basketball mind, but you couldn't, you couldn't root for like a nicer dude and a nicer family. I want to talk about Dallas. Yeah. Have you avoided the topic on the show about what's going on in the organization on purpose or have I missed something? I don't, I haven't listened to every episode. No, we, we haven't talked about the Dallas situation. For you're, a you're, reason? You're talking about the, the front Sexualist office. Sexualist yeah. harassment, the yeah. stuff going, what's his and, name? Uh, yeah. t- how do you say his name? I the don't know. The guy who got fired? Um, T- Tadera Usuri yeah. or whatever. Yeah, 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 you know yeah. that guy? He was. I know him, there. but I don't know him well. Like he was around the organization when I was there. Um, we haven't talked about it on the show because, I, honestly, I don't know. The producer tells us what we're going to talk about, and and I come in and talk about it. Okay, I was wondering <laughs> if like you were like I don't because the day after I had just the 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 article got released. Yeah, I'm sitting there reading it while I'm watching TV one night. It's like midnight, and I'm like the next morning the first thing. I do is I'm listening to to your show, yep. and I'm like they haven't mentioned they haven't this mentioned yet. It. it's, it's interesting. crazy yeah it's interesting I'm like Raj must have told them like I'm too close to the situation I don't want to talk about it because I know like Mark yeah. Cuban and yeah, yeah, yeah you know yeah. you you know all them well I'm not I, no I I mean did you see anything in the organization that made you think like this something something's no, wrong here not at the time I didn't I now they ran the organization like it was a fun place to be and so. I just think generally speaking, like when they're not, when it's a fun place to be, if you have people that, that aren't really conscientious, like it could get crazy. You know what I mean? Like, and so it was, when I was there, it was just a fun place to be. We had a lot of young players, like a lot of dudes who really love to be around each other, like Nick Van Exel, Walt Williams, Mike Finley, like Dirk and Steve. I mean, we were having a good time. And so Donnie and Don Nelson were having a good time. Um, Cubes was having a good time. Like we just all... You know, all the, all of the women and, 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 and men that work there just, you know, we'd, we'd, uh, we'd party at Don's house for, like, holidays. Like, we just had a good time together. And I heard Don can handle his scotch. But Don could get down. Yeah. Let me tell you a quick story. Like, we're, uh, 
two stories about Don Nelson. First one, Cindy and I are going to a holiday party, our first time in uh, in Dallas at a holiday party. So we walk in, there are hundreds of people. Like, and it's a house. I mean, this place is, you can't even move in it. So we're kind of sliding through people to get to where, like, Don is. I want to thank him and his wife. Like, I didn't realize this is an event, so you're not going to get to Don. Like, just be happy to be there. So we get to this poker table. And at the poker table is, like, Willie Nelson, three other dudes I don't know. And Don Nelson is sitting there at the Willie dealer. Nelson, no relation to Don. No, no relation to Don. Like, like the dude with the white hair and the... Yeah. So, but Don, the best part is he's sitting there with a dog in his lap, upside down. So the dog's laying in his arm like a baby with his belly up. And Don is sitting there just rubbing the dog's belly, dealing cards, smoking a cigar and drinking scotch. <laughs> it was the craziest fucking scene I've ever seen. And there, there's like... A hundred people like crowded around to watch this card game of them sitting there, and he's the Godfather, just stroking this dog's belly, like playing cards. <laughs> That's um, classic. He would every every time you get on a bus after the game, he sat in the front seat. By the time we got on after a shower, there'd be like a twelve pack of whatever he was drinking, like extinguished, just gone. Like he was a he was a, a dude's dude, hardcore. And the last the last memory I have of him was I got traded to Golden State. He had traded for me. They had a practice facility on this roof of, of the Marriott downtown Oakland. So I had had surgery. I was coming from rehab. Practice. I'm late. But it's excused because I'm coming from the rehab. Practice starts at two minutes. So I know everyone's in the gym. Coaches, everybody. So I'm, I'm running off the rooftop trying to get in. And I see this billow of smoke like coming out of a car. So it's a truck. So I run over to the truck like, holy shit, somebody's car's on fire. Like, uh, what's going on? And Don Nelson is in the car with the dogs just chain smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Dude, this is two minutes before practice starts. <laughs> and he's in, he's in the parking lot in the car just chain smoking cigarettes. Uh, I think he resigned the next year. Like he, he just wasn't in it anymore. He was, it had been enough NBA for Don. I've seen pictures of him when he was playing for the Celtics and like the celebrations in the locker room oh. and they're like smoking butts in their uniforms. <laughs> Those are the days. ridiculous. <laughs> the only time I saw that was when I went over to Italy to visit my friend Elton. Yeah. And dudes on his team smoke, like Italian Crazy. dudes, you know, yeah. smoking halftime. They go out and get a cigarette. Crazy. After Keon, the game. Keon Clark used to do that. Oh, man. Yeah, he was, he was, he I've was, heard stories about that boy, guy. Keon, you'd go looking for him and Keon would be in a stall in the bathroom, like, and it'd be smoked out. And you'd be like, Keon, like, where'd you play with him? In Utah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in Utah. Him and a kid named, uh, what is this kid's name? Uh, big Ukrainian kid. Uh, I can't remember his name. God, I wish I could call it, but he he be at not the back. Vitalenko. No, no, not Vitali. Vitali was a good dude. Uh, he coaches in the, Cleveland still. Right? Yeah, 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 really good dude. Not that smoking would make you a bad dude, but this kid um, was really talented. He squandered a lot of it because he couldn't get his head on right. But he'd be back in the bus smoking. Um, no, I mean I don't have any insight on it. Like I, you know, it's it's unfortunate. It's, it's just like you wonder if it's them. Just with the the climate of what's going on in society now, where it's just like kind of that stuff goes on everywhere. Yeah. Or if it's really a situation there, you know. Well, yeah. I look. I think anytime that's happening, like you, you have to take it seriously, right? Like it, you have to take it seriously. You have to get to the root of the problem, and whether that's you know the culture that they've established there, or if it's just a rogue individual, like. When you've got a workplace that's as big as like the Mavs and that organization, like you have to clean that up. You have to go in and really figure out what the problem is. And I can't speak to it because I'm not there, but, but um, you know, anytime you've got that many guys around, especially in pro sports, and and there there are females around who can do the job just as well as men, um, 
you know, the, the chances just because of numbers alone that that happens. Line. Yeah, you, especially a fun organization like that. That's the thing. Like, you have to have clear... The business and the social yes, aspect. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's finish up with Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, I read seven seconds or less. There's a lot of good stories in there. Yeah. I loved watching you guys play. You you know, you play the game the way Golden State plays it and Houston plays it and that up pace, shoot the ball as much as you can. You had a lot of characters on that team. We had some characters. One of my favorites is Eddie House. Yeah. Casa. The guy couldn't. Casa is what Casa. I call it. Yeah, Casa. He was, uh... go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. He's just... I mean, <laughs> I, I remember a, a quote in the book about uh, Eddie treated a ball like a, I think they said like a hand grenade or something. Like, <laughs> as soon as he got it, he needed to get rid of it. And it was going towards the bucket. It wasn't yeah. going anywhere else. Yeah, he, uh, first of all, he's he is maybe the funniest dude I've ever met. He's just off the rails, hilarious. Um but yes, he was a flat out, you give me a split second and I'm going to get it in the air. And it, it saved us many a nights. But we, we went to Houston and got torn up by something. So the, the, the team had to play in Baton Rouge one year. So we fly into Baton Rouge. No one, no one really wants to be there. Some, we had played the night before or something like that. And we were all awful. And the, 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 their team wasn't very good. And it was obvious, like, midway through the third quarter that none of the starters or the guys that played heavy minutes were going to have anything to do with the outcome. We were just going to get beat. We played in Memphis the next night. Um, and Eddie House, I want to say, reeled off, like, 20 in the third quarter, just unconscious, just touching it and letting it, like, shots that you you just don't make. Yeah, yeah. And, like, he had many of those games that year. where I mean, he, Anybody who dropped 60 in a college game in, like, a big college level, I mean, absolutely score. Absolutely unconscious. <laughs> yeah. Um, we He and I had a... Like first of all, we talked a lot of shit. Like we used to, we used to go at it in a good way. Like we were buddies. Yeah. Um, but we had a an, a running horse game that we played every shoot around, and we played out. Man, and it's tough and horse. It's tough. But we, I mean, it was really even. I think it was like, I tell you that I beat him by two games over the course of a whole season. And this is a hundred games because we play. Um, he tell you he beat me, but we had some fantastic like whole team standing around watching yeah. this shit. We go at it. Uh, he's one of my favorite teammates of all time. That's cool. Uh, another cool teammate of yours. I remember you telling me some stories about the Matrix. <laughs> he's a character. <laughs> the Matrix. I don't think he ever really got to show his true character. I feel like he would be more well known in the social media age. Yeah. Like if he could show like the personality. Who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Because the stories I hear about him are hilarious. He is a hilarious individual, man. And uh, like really into, really into like comics and and like cartoons and just um like a really good dude would do anything for you type of dude um and but always always had a not unlike myself he had this chip like he always felt like people didn't give him credit for the player that he was and if you look at those numbers like he has numbers across the board that are probably rivaled by only like 10 dudes that ever play in the NBA. Yeah. Like numbers in certain like points. Filling every category. Filling every category. So, I mean, in my book, a Hall of Famer, but like never felt like he was. Yeah. Always felt like he was being slighted. Even up until, you know, when I was in the front office with the Cavs a few years ago and he was on that team, still feeling like right. he was getting... And I always, I always got down with guys like that because that's the way I felt, you know? But the Matrix was never really... I guess maybe marketable enough for people to really get to know who he was, but um, a funny, funny, funny cat and little really funny quirks too. Like about <laughs> he talks in the third person a lot. Yeah, yeah. like make that shit, make shit, Matrix. Mate, what when he, he, when he called himself Trixie, he called Trix, himself Trixie. Trixie. He called himself Matrix. Depending on when you got him, um, 
and he had this little like shit, shit. Matrix don't Matrix ain't running up and down that. Like he's just, I can't do it justice. I remember one game you were telling me uh, these things stick out to me because I only get them in pieces. You yeah, have a million of them. Right. Uh, I want, I can't remember if it was Kobe or what, but you guys were going back and forth. He was covering him a little. You were covering him a little. Yeah. And he's just like, Tracy can't do this himself. Yeah. yeah. Tracy can't. <laughs> Tracy need help. <laughs> I remember yeah, that. Um, he was. Um, so we, on that team, obviously, we weren't known for our defense. But Matrix and I were like the two guys right. that would, would lock people would, down. Would, would lock up. And so, like, obviously, Matrix was the Matrix. Like, he was like a five-time All-Star and stuff. Like, like he was uh, maybe even more. I don't know. But he he was the best defender on that team in his mind. But I wound up getting, like, the all-defense first, first team. First team. So, I remember Mike D'Antoni telling me a story. <laughs> he said, he brought me in. It was early. I walked in. I had no idea. He was like, hey, listen, you made um, you made NBA all-first team defense. He was like, uh, so congratulations. It's like, thanks, Mike. He was like, no, I'm not going to say it in front of the team because I don't want I don't want Matrix to get that we got a game tonight. He was like, but I want to let you know, congrats, and we'll make something, you know, we'll do something about it after the game tonight. Oh um, and so Mike, like Mike knew, yeah. and that, that's part of Mike's brilliance. Like, he yeah. knew that. Um, and I was cool with that. And Matrix and I, we knew that we were the two that were going to have to get it done defensively. And we'd had our moments of like, hey, man, you need fucking guarded. Like, you fucking, it's your assignment, not mine. Like, we... But whoever the top two dudes were. But you'd have to get the one, two, three. He'd have to get the three, four. Usually, but like he didn't like guarding Mello. Like Mello was Mello was flailing and coming into his chest. Like and, and just, you know, all elbows and knees. And so Matrix. And so on a night like that, I might guard Mello. And then he might guard Tony Parker. So like we we really did just kind of guard. Now he could go to fours. The you guys would fours. figure it out yourself too. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Mike would make the call sometimes, but Matrix and I would work that out because we knew that if it was gonna get done, like we had to figure it out. I remember you have one good Shaq story too about the locker room. What, uh, which, the trainer. Well, uh, the naked the naked bear hug. <laughs> Because the visuals that are yeah. involved in this, you just have to like think about, and yeah. it's pretty hilarious. It's yeah, there he. So the the D's just had like this, like this thing about being naked. Like when we first when he first got to Phoenix, I remember, like everybody was crowded around the cell phone or whatever it was at the time, and I, he was like, there was like a there's like a Bigfoot sighting, and we're all like, what the, what, the, what the hell are you talking about? And so we go over, and this fool has like, he is walking through the desert like in this grainy footage, like. Naked, and he had this video made, and he had this video made, and you can see him like walking like Bigfoot through the desert. So like that's when I was like, I just met him. I was like, this guy's a fool. He's a and a, a, a like a really good dude, but a silly cat. So this particular day, like Mike Elliott, he's now the head trainer in um in uh in Utah for the Jazz. Aaron Nelson is the guy in in in, in Phoenix. They're just cutting edge, yeah, like, sports known. medicine, right? Like yeah, they're really great training stuff, right? Uh, but anyway, Elliot Cowboy is what we called him. Was in in the training room, and we're all in the training room. And out of nowhere, you see this big shadow come like flying through the training room, and you're like, "What the hell is that?" And then he winds up on Mike Elliot, like Mike grabs Mike Elliot from the back, and he's bear hugging him, and he's got him like halfway up in the air. And then you realize that it's D's, and he's naked, and he's just hugging this dude like in the air, like like a rag doll. And it was it. Like, it was a violation of man code. Like, it was a clear... But it, it was the D. So that might not even fly these days. Nah, like, you probably get... Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, I mean, he locked... He put Goran Giracek in a, in a headlock, put him to sleep. Oh, I heard about that. Put him to sleep in the locker. Like, it was... It, he, he was just a... He was a wild dude, man. Funny guy. 
uh, those videos that he made with Doe, Doe Tuck. Yeah, what you, you were there that he they used to do those. Um, Alando's a friend of mine, yeah, and he's gonna be on the show, yeah. Uh, they made these like videos where they played like a cop. And they had they were like cops from the seventies. They're hilarious. I don't know. You might have been gone. For I was probably gone. Now. I probably got traded. Hilarious. Like Shaq's the driver. Yeah. And he's the passenger. And they're like sideburns and afros. Fantastic. And, yeah. Really funny videos. We'll talk to Doe about that. Um. So let's finish up with Phoenix. Yeah. The Kobe decapitation. When you Google Raja Bell, That's one right. of like the second or third thing that comes up is like that, <laughs> which is is great. I mean, you're tied yeah. to a moment in history. Have you Kobe has some of the most passionate fans. Like they'll go they'll they'll do they don't Kobe can do no wrong. Yeah. Do you get do you ever get any death threats or anything crazy from his fans? Or? Um I never got a death threat. I get a lot of fan mail so like during that time I didn't read it because you know, I don't want to hear all the stuff that people had to say. But I, I got I got people that want to fight me over that. Like I got you know, gang members in LA, like if I'm walking the street, will start throwing sets at me and stuff like that once they realize who I am. But like, you know, I don't, I don't want no problems with nobody. Like that was, that was on the court shit. Kobe and I are cool. So like why I got to be beefing with you over that. But it was a really, it was a really interesting time because, you know, Kobe had had those issues. Like, and so he had lost a lot of fans. And so what I realized at the time was he was polarizing. You were either, people were either like, yeah, dude, thank you for doing that. Right. Or they were like, yo, like, fuck you for, you know, right, like, right. like I, I want to fight. So, um, it was interesting, but no death threats, like, thankfully, because that would have, you know, I ain't, I'm not built like that. Like, I, I, I'll fight you or something like right. that on the court, but I don't want no problems like that. Yeah. I remember your mom going at it with him, all that. Oh, dude, she caught him. In the hallway? In the hallway, asked him if he needed a hug. He said I wasn't hugged enough as a child. Yeah. So after we beat him, uh, and Yaya, is usually, like, she's not a confrontational person, but she... Kobe had fucked with but the she wrong knows, one. But she knows how to say things. Like you said this morning, she's the one that will call you and say, you read what they're saying Yeah, 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 yeah. She gets you. <laughs> she will come up to me. Let's just, I can't even come up with the specific right now. We're right. going to leave that off wax. But uh, if she hears something about me, she'll say, she knows it. Right. She's 100% already knows the story. But just to like dig a little bit, she'll say, Maddie B, whatever happened with such and such? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> and then she'll look around and see everybody's reaction. Yeah, yeah, she's a piece of work. Yeah. She's a piece of yeah. work. I, I mean, I could when you were saying it this morning, I could picture it. Yeah, Kobe got to experience that firsthand. <laughs> uh, let's move over to Charlotte real quick. Yeah. Um, what was your first meeting with Michael Jordan like? Um, interesting. Like, n- not what I expected in terms of, like, personality I guess I don't know what I expected but I it, it well, he's was, like a god so he and he was my god like yeah. I you know I was I was in awe so I was in awe of Mike even even when I was there and but I really I wanted to be there like I wanted to because I wanted to be in Phoenix and they traded me and then I wanted to be I was just ready to like set down roots and you know Mike and them didn't want to commit to that they wound up trading me anyway and so it didn't get sideways with Mike but like I I just didn't love Mike anymore. You know what I mean? Like it changed the way you looked did. at him. It changed the way I that I looked at him. And, you never and played golf with him. I no, I never played golf. I lived across the hall from Mike. His now wife. Remember our apartment at the Blue down there? Yeah. There were only three doors in that hallway, mm-hmm. and Mike's girlfriend lived in the one right across the hall from us. And so I'd see Mike in elevators and stuff like that. I never got to play golf with him. Um, you know, I played poker with him a few times, like okay. at different charity things. Michael Finley, he's a good dude. I, I mean, he's a good dude, but just the business side of it, like I didn't get what I wanted out of it. So, like, I was like, ah, whatever. You have a kick with Worldwide West? Yeah, West is my dude. I've never partied with him. 
but like I know him, you know, to hang out, uh, you know, in, in social settings, like real, like what's the word I want to use for it? Like not partying, partying, but just hanging out. Like if we're somewhere and then we're like at one of those events, like a poker party or something like that or a charity event, yeah, but yeah. I'm not at the club with Wes. Interesting dude too. Yeah. You know Wes like that? No. No, yeah, he's... I know dude. a lot of people that know him and everybody has a story. Yeah, everybody got a story about Wes. One of the most interesting men in the world. For right sure. There. You got to tell the uh, Jerry Sloan, Darren Williams story. Yep. Go over to Utah. Go to Utah, fully expecting, like, Kobe offered, like, Kobe called me that year and wanted wanted me to come out there because LeBron and them got together, right? This and is after you decapitated him. Yeah. He called you and wanted you on his team. He called me first thing the morning free agency opened. was like, look, anybody who can close, and he said it like this, anybody who can close on me in a playoff game, I want him on my team. And then he went into like what they're doing in Miami and they think they're going to win championships and I'm going to have something to say about that. So I was like, okay, cool. But now Miami had told me they were going to sign me too. So I waited until they had done all their signings and Eric Spolstra sent me a text saying, hey, it's finally time for you to come play at home. And I was like, oh, but they had spent all their money. So I was like, damn. Utah came up and they offered me three for 10 and I got the minimum. Like I I got bills to pay, you know, I got to go. So the good part about Utah was they were set up. They had Darren Williams, Al Jefferson, Paul Millsap, um, we we had some nice some, young core. Yeah, we had a good young core. So I went out, and it became obvious really. And early. back then, I thought Darren Williams was like maybe better than CP. Like it was I, close. I, I think we all did. Like yeah. it was a it was a debate. Yeah. And you get there, and you realize really early, like when we're not gelling, and Darren asked the whole team to kind of stay after practice, right? And so we're staying there to kind of run through the place so everybody knows him. And I I walk out, I see Jerry in the hallway just like leering and then like his demeanor is seething like he's he's hot and so I go out and I'm like yo Jerry what's up man what's wrong he's like this motherfucker's trying you know he's undermining me he's been doing this shit for the last three years now I haven't been there for the last three years and I'm like Jerry look it's, so you can't speak on it I can't I said but this isn't like that this is just us like taking some extra time to make sure that we all know it's an intricate offense that we all know the options through all these offenses like I promise you he's like nah you don't know Raj like fuck that and I'm like Coach, I, like, I'm your dude. You know that I came back here for you. Like, this is not that. This so, is your second time in Utah. It's my second time in Utah, yeah. So he, he lets that go, but it was obvious, like, he didn't, like, he wasn't hearing what I had to say. Like, he had his feelings about whatever had happened. So this particular night, we were playing the Bulls, and Darren, Jerry starts the game with a call, like, four up. Four up is a post-up play for Paul Millsap on the right block. Paul Millsap prefers the left block. So as we're going out, Darren asked Paul, like, I'm there. He says, yo, would you you like the right or left block? Paul's Seems like, reasonable, like reasonable. what a good point guard, guard would do. do, right? I like the left block. So Darren's like, cool, we're going to run four down. That's just to the left side of the court. So unbeknownst to us, like, we play the whole first half. Like, we come in, like, Jerry's high. So we come in at halftime, and one of the first thing out of Jerry's mouth, we're down, like, four points. Or up maybe four, I don't know. He says, if you're going to change my fucking play call, at least give me the courtesy of letting me know before you change it. And Darren was taken aback. Like, we're all sitting around like, what, dude, where is this coming? That was like a half hour ago. A half hour ago. And at, like, minimum, it's probably an hour ago. Yeah. And we're and we're in a ball game right now. But he's holding on to this. So it sparks this, like, two-minute exchange of, like, you know, displeasure. Like Darren and Jerry just, back Darren, and forth. Darren and Jerry back and forth. So finally, it, 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 like, escalates into Darren saying something to the effect. And I don't, it's not a quote, but it was really close to this. All right, old man, like you might have the power, but I got the fucking juice. And he looked over at the owner who was sitting next to me and said, I need to see you in the back room. This is Darren to the owner. So I'm like, like, oh shit, this is going down. So the owner 
and Darren proceed to walk around a corner. Um, now, there's a wall, but it doesn't reach the ceiling. So you can hear everything that's going on. And Jerry, after about seven, eight, nine seconds, says, he says, fuck that. You're not having a meeting without me. So he runs around the corner. And now, like, it's starting to pop. Like, stuff's starting to... So, like, we get the team together and we hit the court. Like, let's just go out. We got game to play. There's nothing we can do about this anyway. Let's go hoop. Darren comes out of the locker room and I catch him. I'm like, bro, you cool? And he's like, I just told him to fucking trade me. I was like, what are you talking about? He said, like, no, this is bullshit. If they don't want me here, if it's going to be like that, I just told them, fuck, it might be better if they trade me. I was like, Darren, look, I don't, I'm not in that, but we got a game to play. Let's get it right. He's like, I'm not fucking talking to Jerry. I said, okay. And so I go over to Jerry and I'm like, look, he's like, I'm not fucking talking to Darren. So the whole game in the second half, it's them relaying messages through me. And I want Darren, you tell Darren, we're going to run 35, like whatever. And Darren going over, you tell him they're playing pick and roll like that. I'm like, this is fucking exhausting, is man. This is like high school. Right. So at the end of the game, we lose. We bring it in. We're doing our normal shit, like one, two, three, jazz. And Jerry Sloan says, one, two, three, good luck. And I mean, like the way we're sitting here, we all looked at each other like, what? dude, what did he just say? Did he say good luck? And every like, time you guys say jazz. One, two, three, jazz. Every game for the last and forever. Yeah. Um, but he says good luck and we're like I, you know I didn't think shit about it I told my I told Cindy about it on the ride home and, and just let it go so the next morning I have to be there for treatment at like 9.30 I don't know 8.30 and I get there like 15 minutes early because that's what you're supposed to do and I'm, I walk in and everybody looks like 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 somebody's died and Jerry has resigned already at like 7.30 in the morning and he was at what 20 years 20, 20 years. Yeah. and it, it, it came down just like that um I'm actually sad that I could tell the story because for a dude like Jerry in Utah, like I didn't want to see the to way to go out like that. I didn't want that to like, and I, and selfishly like I was fucked. Cause I hated Tyrone Corbett. Like I, I, I did not get along with oh, the dude. Like, um, I thought, you, you know, it, it, the relationship devolved. I went back for the money and I guess if I'm being honest, like, you know, some people say I got what I had coming, right? I went for the money. And that's what happened. Like, I didn't go for championships or I didn't go for, like, you are Colin Cowherd sometimes say you chase management or you chase. I didn't do that. I went for the money. It was my profession. And I got stuck in a fucked up situation. But, um. Seems like it was, he retired literally over a generational gap. Over a generational gap. That's what gap. it seemed like. That's what it was. Like, he, he could deal with you. He could deal with guys your age, couldn't your generation. Be. Darren couldn't. Couldn't get. Couldn't. And, and, and it was exactly that, though, Matty B, because Darren was wired just a little different. Just a little, like, yo, man, like, who the fuck, like, who you talk to? Like, I'm, I'm fucking Darren Williams. And it's like, our generation would never talk to Jerry Sloan nope. like that. I, <laughs> no, straight reverence. Yeah. Like, even Carl Malone and John Stockton, right. we're talking about two of the best players all time. When Jerry talks, you're locked in, eyes right. on him. Yeah, okay, yes, sir. Get out there and do your job. And so, Jerry just really could not deal with that. And so, the more interesting part, and this is when I realized, like, how the business worked, was two weeks later, we're sitting in a hotel room in Dallas. We're going to play the Mavs. This is Darren Williams' hometown. So I'm sitting next to Darren. Gary Briggs, the trainer, is is like administering. Brian Zettler administering like whatever little treatment they got to give the people that morning. And we're sitting there having a cup of coffee while we watch SportsCenter before we go to shoot-around. And across the bottom of the ticker, breaking news, Darren Williams traded to the Nets. And like, again, dude, like just like we're sitting here, I give him the eyes like, did you just fucking see that? And he looked at me like, he threw his hands up in the air. He's like, I'll be right back. This is the first I heard this of it. the first you heard of it. So he goes out, he comes back in, and he tells everybody he got traded. Two nights later, I'm sitting in the hot tub. <clears throat> Kevin O'Connor, the general manager at the time, comes over. And I'm like, yo, bro, like busy 
<laughs> busy couple days, busy few weeks. <laughs> and he says to me, as like plain as he says in term, like in reference to the Darren situation, sometimes you get what you fucking deserve. And they like they they spitefully traded that cat. Yeah, and Brooklyn. they they also wanted to like show their support for Jerry Sloan. Yep. basically, right? Yep. But they couldn't talk him back into staying nah, before and, he quit. And uh, I'm glad to see him in a good place because Utah Utah fans are like as good as any fans in the NBA. And Quinn Snyder and the front office that they have in place now are really doing a good yeah, job. They, they're in a good spot. Yeah. They got one of the best young players in the league. He's a beast. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your, your post-career. Yeah. When you were with Cleveland, <clears throat> what, two years there? One. One? Yeah. Damn. I, I had a three-year deal. Damn. And yeah, and, and it you was, gave uh, up all that, huh? I did. I didn't get the ring. Um, it was fascinating work, though, Maddie B. Like seeing the inner workings of, like you knew what went on as a player, but you didn't know all of what went on. Um, like the dossiers that they build on players, the background that they do, the, the intel. Uh, like part of my job was to sit. Like our general manager, David Griffin, didn't travel, so I was the general manager on the road. Um, our assistant general manager did a lot more scouting. Trent Redden. So I would travel with the team everywhere. So I'd have the conversations with LeBron about like giving David David Blatt a chance to let him, you know, let him coach, or like whether or not he was going to play in Indiana because we needed to rest him. Like that was my job. Like I'd have those conversations about like LeBron, we need you on the bench, bro. Like you can't be back in the locker room. But the other part of my job was talking up other GMs, um, you know, ball boys, uh, security staff of of opposing teams. And getting information on any player that was relevant and that could be a target of ours. Mm-hmm. And when I get this information, and I've always felt weird about it. Like, I'm a dude's dude. Like, I, it's confidence, bro. You tell me some shit, it's it's your shit. I'm yeah, locking yeah, it up. Yeah. So I always felt weird about going back. I felt like I was snitching. Like, and I'd have to go back and write this report about, you know, such and such a uh, person on the Mavs staff said that Matty B could be moody, like, and whoopty whoopty woo. He shows up late to shoot around yeah. three times a week. I, I felt that it was shitty because, quite frankly, I read one of my own. Matty B smokes black and miles or something Correct. like that. Now, so which is not true. It's not, it's not true, just for the record. Um, you tired. I fucking read one of my own. And somebody in Charlotte had put in one of, he had recounted a story. One of the Cavs front office guy got a story from a guy in Charlotte from when I was there. You know, I look on my own file real quick. I want to know what this is about. And the dude says something like, you know, he kills me personality-wise, which anybody in the NBA who dealt with me, like... Like what? Like he's like tough to deal with. Yeah, uh, asshole. As soon as he got here, like he didn't want to be here. What a dick. And like, dude, like forgive me. I just got traded. I probably wasn't happy the first day, but I settled in fine. But then went on to say like, you know, he's got a wife, kids around. Um, <clears throat> not sure if all the kids are his, like some of them, like real, real fucking what? like violation type of shit. And so, you know, I, I brought it up to our front well, office. How is that time. even like an issue if you're how trading it, for somebody? How is it pertinent info? Right. So I say to our staff, I'm like, look, I know that this is the way you guys have done business for a long time, but I want to, I want you have to take into account your source. Like you don't know who you're getting this information from case in point. None of this is true. This is my file. And they were just appalled because they, they meant to delete it, but they didn't delete my file, so I got to read it. But I'm like, you guys aren't factoring in whether the person that you're talking to has a grudge against Matty B or whether there's some kind of personal vendetta. Like, you're just taking every bit of information right. and lumping it up. So, like, we need to tweak the way we get information, who we get it from, and then process it because it's not all accurate shit. Um, so I didn't love that part of the job. 
And then it was just a 24-7 like gig. And I was on the road so much. And I had babies, man. I had four, I had three kids at the time. And I had no I had no time with them or, or my wife. And sure, I could have made another career in the NBA, but I really felt like I'd already had my time in the NBA. And this was my family time. What I thought was cool was when you were playing, your kids were kind of a little too young yeah. to really enjoy it. Yeah. So you got to bring them to the stadium every game and show them LeBron that was and dope. Kyrie. And, and that, that looked cool. You know, I was seeing all your pictures yeah. on social that media. Was dope. And all that. that was dope. And I really wrestled with whether the best thing for them yeah. was to keep them around that. But the limited access that they had to those dudes, in my opinion, wasn't worth the absence of me. You know? And mm-hmm. there'd be times where, you know, Ty, my middle one, was getting into some fights. Like, there was starting to be a little behavioral thing. Um, you know, I'd, I'd leave and they'd be that old, like, cliche kids at the front door looking out, looking at dad. Yeah, like, and I don't sh- want to be that guy. It would tear the heart out of me. So I was like, look, I'll, I'll give this shit up in a heartbeat. Um, and it was worth it. One of the, the better stories I heard you tell on Bell and Canell was uh, Bell and Canell. You see, yeah, it's got a, it's got a ring, yeah. bro. I'm gonna, I'm gonna start writing some letters to Canell. <laughs> was about the the draft process. Yeah, and you were asking questions when you have the kids come in. Yeah, and I really like that question that you asked. Was it Rashad Vaughn? Rashad Vaughn, yeah. I mean, I was the same guy as you playing. Like, I got suspended for. 25% of my senior year right. games fighting right. Right. with the coach once right. guy on another team once I mean I'm used to it too um, that's just how I was wired yeah. and uh, yeah, and I feel the same way if you've never so the question you asked him was, in his interview was had he been in a fight have you ever been in a fight in, yeah. your, in your life in your life yes his guy answer, says no he says no for me it was like okay I can't next next for two reasons one either you're being phony right or you got to have some scrap. A dog's got to have some scrap. Like, and when you're talking about Matty B playing, he was a talented kid, but he wasn't a transcendent talent. And so, like, you could get away with that stuff if you're like Thon Maker and you're seven foot, can shoot and dribble and Giannis. But when you're a six five, like two guard, yeah. bro, you better have some. You better have some some bark behind the bite, like, or some bite behind the bark, or at least. A, and he had nothing. Like, there was no substance there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So as soon as he gave me that answer, I was like. Yeah, I was on to the next. Uh, the process was was amazing, though. Like, getting to hear, like, Bobby Portis tell his story about where he came from in Arkansas and why he does what he does and, and how, why he's wired the way he's wired. Or Willie Cauley-Stein tell his story completely miscast. Like, people, because of the tats and because of all of that, like, your typical, like, stereotypical shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but to hear this guy talk and explain, like, you know, who he was and where he's from and that he was a two two sports star and give cerebral answers to questions like that. Uh, I thought it was really, really cool. And it was, it was fun for me, just not something that I wanted to, you know, ultimately sacrifice what I felt like I was having making a choice between my family and, and a job, you know, is this something you would explore in the future when your kids are older, you think, or yeah, I could like, yeah. I mean, I don't know that those doors would be open to me anymore. Like right. you know, sometimes so long removed, so yeah. far removed. And you, you like, you get one shot at stuff sometimes. Like, and I had David Griffin was like my champion in that. Like, I'd like to think that, if I was in a different place in my life and he got a job again, he'd come back, but maybe not. He's probably going to get a job. He's soon. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've reached the keeping it a hundo segment of the show. Keep it 100. I'm going to ask you some questions. Sorry. All right. Keep it a hundo, Raj. So on the last show, or it's two shows ago, uh, I asked this question. And I was surprised with the answer, so now I need to ask it again. All right. Who wins one-on-one? Jesus Christ versus Jesus Shuttlesworth. 
<laughs> Jesus Christ, Jesus Shuttlesworth. Jesus Christ, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, the last yeah, answer was Shuttlesworth. Was it that's, Shuttlesworth? Like he's, a, he's a neighbor of his. He plays pickup with us. So. Yeah, dog. No, that's yeah. not even that. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, what member of your extended family looks like NBA referee Tony Brothers? Member of my extended family. Does Jamar look like Tony Brothers? Extended family. Extended um, family. Wait, wait. Let me look up Tony Brothers real quick in my mind. Mental Rolodex. All right, I got Tony Brothers. You got Ellis Canty. <laughs> God, you got dog, it. That's a good one, bro. He's got the slope and everything, bro. Yeah, no doubt. Best shot pay head. I know you love to golf. Who? What's the best foursome you ever golfed with? And I don't mean best at golf, but just like coolest crew you were ever rolling with. Yeah. yeah. Um. Damn, that's a good one. Um. I've played. With Jimmy Walker plays on the tour. I played with Bubba Watson, and those were some awesome golfers. But like yeah, my yeah. my best foursomes would be like my boys. Like you know, I played in a foursome once at Bayonne. Have you ever seen the Bayonne course? Looks over the Statue of Liberty, like Rolling oh, Hills. Oh, Jersey, Fescue. yeah, dog, gorgeous. Um, I played with my uncle Chuck, who was like the dentist. Yeah, he's my dude, man. Yeah. Um, I got to play with his younger son, a cousin of mine, Chucky. I mean, his oldest son. Yeah, my 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 best buddy Gene. Yeah, um, and it was a perfect like rainy golf day. Uh, like it felt like Scotland, even though we were in, in, in Bayonne, New Jersey, like that was a dope golf day. And so the, it might not answer the question, nah, but like it was, that's the answer. It was a dope foursome. That's the, some answers you can get wrong. Some you can't get there wrong. There you go. That one you, you can't get wrong. Who is your fam- favorite teammate to play cards with? Favorite teammate to play cards with. Yeah. This is, I I have the answer to this one. Yeah. There is a correct answer. There is a correct answer. Yeah. Um, would it be Matrix? The answer is Matrix. The answer is Matrix. Sean yes. Marion. Sean Marion. Yep. Poker player. Uh, we had some hellified games. <laughs> shit, Matrix. Shit. <laughs> I heard you can you can tell him uh, if you win or lose. Like he's not really sure sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's the Matrix, man. There are no rules on it. It's the Matrix. That's right. Which teammate would you hate to be stuck in a car with on a long road trip? Stuck. And I do have an answer, but I'm sure there's multiple answers. Yeah, there are multiple answers to that. That's interesting. Long, long road trip stuck in the car. Just the two of you. That's a tough one. Somebody with probably no. Matt Harper and I were cool. I was gonna say somebody with little, little personality, but Matt actually has the personality. You just don't get to know it. Um, it's gotta be somebody. I don't know. You wanna know my answer? Yeah. What's your answer? Boris. <laughs> He's not the best for at bodily, it. for bodily personal hygiene. There you go. Oh, yeah, hey, Boo Boo, Boo is my dude, but Boo, like, yeah, there were there was the occasion where he's it, from France. He's from France. Let's you leave know it the at that. rules. Yes. You know the rules. Leave it at that. Send me some Bordeaux, though, Boris. You never Ooh. fulfilled that. Like, I'm supposed to get a case. That would be nice. Craziest teammate you ever had? Craziest teammate I ever had? Probably Jr. Player Jr. Ryder. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. What NBA player did you want to punch in the face? What NBA player did I want to punch in the face? Um... I always wanted to punch Kobe until I got to know Kobe. Um, and then... You kind of did. Big ticket. Yeah. Just because he never stopped talking? Just because he always... the whole yeah, time? Yeah, and I like, like... And people question his toughness. Yeah, like, and I so I always... I'm cool with ticket. Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't... Like, but there was a time where I was like... Like, I just given the opportunity. I heard... Uh, <laughs> was it... Was it Steven Jackson... One of those tough guys. Yeah. He was just like, yeah, we call him a porch dog. Oh. <laughs> like he's always barking. He don't want none with us. Yeah. Well, Steven Jackson is a, he, he, Jack is 
Captain Jack is as real as they get. Yeah. That's Port Arthur. Like, he's... Yeah. People don't want problems with that. And, and real talk, like, I, I don't have a beef with KG. Like, it's not like that. It was just, like, the way he talks sometimes irked me, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. If you were the Cavs and you were still in the front office yeah. and you could draft anybody this year, who would you take? Besides DeAndre Ayton, because I feel like he's, like, almost ahead yeah. of the pack right now. Yeah, you're talking about Marvin Bagley Jr. You're talking about Michael Porter uh, Jr., the kid, Luka Doncic, yeah, uh, Trey Young. Young. I think I would take Michael Porter Jr. if and qualify it if he looked good and he was healthy. If his what have you straight. what have you seen of him, or is it just the, what you've heard of him? I his saw comparisons and whatnot. Yeah, well, I saw him play a couple times in high school, like uh, a couple years ago, and the fluidity is very much like Kevin Durant. Like and I, I mean, obviously Kevin Durant. Those are the Durant, comparisons I've heard. But he is as fluid for the size and the stuff that he can do with the ball off the bounce, uh, the way he shoots it pretty effortlessly. Um, I think it's a fair comparison. Now, whether he winds up being KD is another story. But like that is a comp. Okay. I've only seen him in like limited, limited Missouri action. And yeah. He looked terrible. He looked awful. He's like, yeah. Not I was bro, like, when, hey, really you, scared of what I saw. You see him on a high school floor, like when he was healthy. He, and I didn't even know I didn't know anything about him. I yeah. just turned the TV on and he was there, and I was like, "Who the hell is that?" And I looked him up, and I was like, "Okay, that makes that makes right. sense." Uh, best non-hooper you ever played pickup ball with? Best non-hooper pickup ball. Like he wasn't a, a D one college player or like a, you know NBA player. Yeah, Maybe he was a anything. I don't know. Uh, that's a tough one. Um, I played. You know, we've been in some we've been in some dope ass runs like. The, the NFL guys, yeah. And, um, R. Kelly runs at R, Miami High. R. Kelly was you know interested. I mean? um, it would probably be some of those dudes from from Miami High that were just gritty, tough, um, hard nosed basketball T-shell guys. Yeah, yeah. T. Like T. Shell was one of them. Um, that's it. T. Shell. T. Shell. Now T. Shell served a bid at one point, right? Like, and I didn't. I was playing in a men's league. Um, with uh, with Clyde, who used to run like the the Horsemen or something like that in Miami, I played yeah, the Roots yeah, yeah. Festival, and so we were there, and I was always the dude. And then one day I show up, and there's this like six seven long rangy, you know, and I was feeling territorial about that shit. I was like, "What's up?" And then he got on the court, and I was like, "Whoa!" And this was like, I don't even. He might have been like a week out. Um, his he was dope. Like he had a nice little game. That's one of those stories where if it had been another path, like you might have been talking about him right. having an NBA career one day. Good name. What would you be doing if you didn't play in the NBA? If it didn't pan out? Yeah, that's a good question. And you, you didn't, if you didn't, never played professional basketball? Yeah. What'd you, what would you have done, you think? Um, I would have probably wound up coaching in college. I loved the game that much. You would have stayed in the game. I loved it that much. And like having fulfilled the dream and played it so long, like I don't really feel the need to necessarily coach in college. But if I hadn't got to do it, I would have felt like I needed more, so I would have I would have probably wound up doing that. And quite frankly, like if you knew me at FIU, I wasn't preparing to do much else. Like I was I was a knucklehead in terms of like making other plans. Yeah. You know? Your kids go to school somewhat near Parkland High School or Parkland, Florida, yeah. where uh, Douglas High School, where the shooting happened. There's all types of talk about gun control and these type of things. How do you feel about armed teachers in the classroom? Yeah, I don't. I, or against it? I'm against it. I don't have the right answers. I'm not pretending to, but introducing more guns isn't something that I think makes the place safer. Uh, teachers had bad days. I come from a family of teachers. Like, 
uh, they're having bad, like anything. You you put more people with guns in schools, more tragedies are going to happen. It's just like it's just going to happen. And so I do not think that's the answer. I don't have them, but I don't think that's it. If Trump got so bad and you had to leave the country yeah. and move to a different country to live, where would you go? I like Canada. Yeah? Yeah, I do. I like I love Toronto. I like Toronto. Yeah, Toronto's, Toronto's dope. dope. You ever been to uh, Vancouver? Yep. Vancouver's pretty cool too. Real cool city. Um I don't know about the European cities. Um they're great to visit and stuff like that, but culturally, like there's a lot of change that goes yeah. on with that. I, I, and I I'm a like I said, I'm a creature of habit and familiarity, so it'd have to be somewhere that was really, really. When I first came up with the question, I was like, oh, I don't know, I don't know what his answer would be, and yeah. then I thought about, it, I was like, Saint Croix. So, yeah, but you know, Saint U.S. It is U.S. The, but the thing with Saint Croix is like it's gotten bad, man, because the, economically, like the oil, the oil refineries and stuff have left, so um, it's just not a prosperous place anymore. You know, you don't, so, you don't want to raise your kids there. I don't. The okay. school, I don't know that the schooling's great. It's getting dangerous, uh, and the the it's a beautiful place and and beautiful people and and culture, but like it's very limited in what you're exposed to. You know what I mean? If you won an NBA championship in 2018, would you go to the White House? Nah, I don't think I'd go. I don't, and I know that it's it's. Would uh, you Would you make a personal decision, or you think it would be uh, you'd do you know a collective decision? Or? I'd probably. I mean, I would be looking for people on my team too. Yeah. I don't know make that everyone stand would, and yeah, support that, but I can't. I don't. You know, I just don't stand for what he stands for. Absolutely. You know? Like I respect presidency and all of that, but that's my choice whether I go or not. Then my choice is not to go. What music do you listen to that if you pulled up at a red light with the windows down? Would you put the windows up <laughs> um, in case anybody heard you? In case it would probably be like the mumble rap stuff now. Okay, so you do still listen a little bit of that. I have to because my kids love it. So I hate it. Yeah, but the kids love it. Yeah. So like I'd be embarrassed though if you pulled up next to me and I was bumping that shit. Like I'd be oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good answer. What city had the worst accommodations when you played there in the NBA? Whether Oakland. it was simple, Oakland, okay. Oakland, Sacramento. Okay, right, both like. Neither one of them offered, like, there was a standard of hotel you had to stay at. Yeah. And if the, if their city had one, you had to stay in that hotel. But if they didn't, then you could go to a, so it was it was definitely second Oakland. When you played at Golden State as a visiting team, you didn't stay in San Francisco at the nice hotels? Some teams did. Like, and this was, you heard the pod the other day, I was talking about Utah and them trying to attract free agents and some of the stuff they could do. Right. Well, Utah was one of the teams that would keep you in, in Oakland and keep you at, like, a best, like, a, a embassy suites or a... Or a Marriott when you could go say at the St. Regis right. or something right across the bridge, which every other team in the NBA did. So, um, yeah, that was a personal thing. But but in SAC, you have no options. Like SAC, you you got to be at the Embassy Suites. Who wins in a steel cage match? Rajah Bell versus Kobe Bryant. Tear Kobe's ass up, man. Off of just straight. Pause, pause. <laughs> pause. No, like, in a, um, Kobe's a tough dude, though. Like, I got some inner, like... Some inner, some inner drive there. Like there's some chips still on my shoulder about whatever. So I'm taking me, but I don't mean to like Kobe. And I don't think a lot of people know how much I respect the way that cat competes. Like we had our moment, and my job was to stop him. But in terms of a competitor, a dude who I think would match like me, and like we both die trying to win in that match, like he would be a dude. Favorite city to visit when you're on the road? Favorite city to visit. L.A. was, I loved L.A. Like, yeah. You know, the weather was always great. Great places to eat and shop. Toronto. Toronto's yeah, great. Really good. Do you have a favorite restaurant? 
Um, favorite restaurant? No, no. I I had some places. I don't remember all the names of places I would go, but I was always that dude. Like I go to the concierge. I wanted to know what the nice, the new nice spot to be at. I love Italian food, so typically I was looking for like the best Italian restaurant I could find. Yeah, I got you. I'll put you on. A few oh, that's places. what's up. I need that. Who would you rather hang out with, Black Mamba or White Mamba? <laughs> that's a that's an interesting question. Probably the White Mamba. Like Scalabrine is a character. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a character in the game. But Kobe, I'd like you know what I'd like to do with Kobe. I'd like to I'd like to work out and grind with Kobe. I'd like to see what that's like. I'd like to see like how he was wired and and if I could if I could. I always wondered. It was one of the things that I regret. I do regret not playing with him because. I would have liked to have seen that firsthand and see if I could measure up, not to his game, sure. but to his work ethic, you mm-hmm. know, because it's just supposedly just incredible. Yeah. Top five, dead or alive, rappers. Rappers, top five, dead or alive. Okay. Um, Biggie, Tupac, Easy, like those were right in the wheelhouse. Um, Nas, I'm a big Nas fan. Um, I got to put Jay in there. And then let me see five. Let me go deep with five. Uh, you got the same four as me. You, do I? I have a fifth that you probably won't have, though. Um, most deaf. Okay. Yeah. I like most. I really like his stuff, man. That's I like, the first, you're the first person who put most deaf. Really? In. Yeah. Yeah. What's your top five? What's the Those four. And? Pusha T. Okay. Yeah. I'm a big Pusha guy. There you go. Death Row Meal. Oh, Death Row Meal. Like, if you gave me, like, like a fresh homemade, like, pasta... You gave me like uh, a what, really good. What kind of noodle? What type of sauce are you going with? Yeah, I'm gonna go with like a, an arrabbiata, like a spicy yeah. red. You know, I don't eat meat really, so like mm-hmm. it, mine is basic cable. You give me like some some nice like sautéed vegetables on the side of that. Some really good bread, like yeah, some good warm bread, bread, good olive oil, good olive oil, um, and a glass of red probably. It, yeah, give me something nice, and I'm good. Sounds like the meal. Before we, we sign off today, I just want to say I appreciate you doing this. And I don't know if you know, but back about, what was that, 15, 17 years ago? Yeah. You had that townhouse in Kendall? Yeah. King, I used to rent your townhouse. That's right. The King's, that's, uh, that's King's right there by Dade Lane. Yeah, yeah. That's what's up. So I was at a, a pretty low point in my life. I was struggling. Yeah. And you allowing me to rent that place at a low cost was, I mean, it helped, helped get, get me back on my feet. Yeah. I know Raja through, uh, one of my closest friends passed away. He was engaged to Raja's sister. Yep. So we have a lot of history going back. And at the time I was, I was struggling to make money. I was, you know, really bad depression. Yeah. And, uh, Raja's just like, I got a place in, uh, Kendall. Yep. And, uh, if you want to rent it out, tell me how much you got and that's how much you pay for rent. So I had a two-story townhouse with two bedrooms. It was the first time I ever had a like, quote, nice place. Right. And uh, it really, it really helped change me and you know, kind of motivated me a little more. Hey, bro, look, but that was a good move, man. Hey, family is family, right? And yes, sir. Those were some, those were some tough times, man. But everybody has made it out, and it's still a part of us. But everybody's doing great stuff, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Thank you for having me on. Um, I think it's, it's I think it's dope, um, and I'll be following. And like in terms of, in terms of what you're gonna do with it, like if we can help like with our stuff, I'd love to have you on and stuff like that. I want to reciprocate, dog, because like this is, this is your vision, man. And and family supporting family 
is how things get done. Like, it's how I got to where I'm at. I'm sure it's why you're as successful as you are. So anything I could do, Matty B, man, I got, one love. I got great parents just like you do. I, Raja's family was like my Miami family. Yep. I didn't have any family down here. Never, like, I don't have any family that lives down here. Raja's family is some of the best people I've ever met in my life. As far as your show goes, yeah, I want to make a bet. Oh, word. All right. If the Celtics win round one, okay, I'm I'm coming on the show. Done. And if they lose, then uh, I got to think of something. What, right. what happens if they lose? We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I'm not good on the spot like that, but I'll, right. I'll come up with something. But it's All a right. done deal. If the C's if the C's get out of round one, Maddie B on Bell and Canell. Boom. Canell and Bell. There it is. All right. Thanks, bro. No doubt, brother. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to episode 11 of Keeping It a Hundo. That was Raja Bell, one of the realest guys you'll ever meet. Definitely check out Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. It's a CBS Sports podcast. You can catch Raja on there a few times a week. And you're going to catch me on there because the Celts are taking the Bucks down. They drew the Bucks in the first round. We're taking them down. And then you'll see me on Raja's show. So make sure you're downloading and subscribing to Keeping It a Hundo. And go check out Off the Bench with Canel and Bell. If you have any playoff predictions or you want to make a friendly wager with me, leave it in the comments section. I know sometimes that thing's a pain in the ass. You try to comment or leave a review and it doesn't really let you. Be patient with it. Keep trying. I need those reviews. I need those comments. They keep track of that stuff. So it's much appreciated. And thank you to everybody who's been sharing. Uh, Slick Rick and Brickle. Anthony G on the Naughty North Shore. And of course, Jane and Quincy. Thanks for sharing it with uh, the continent of Australia. Speaking of Jane and Quincy, they got their first game this weekend. I'll be there at the Sears Center in Hoffman Estates. North suburbs of Chicago. Got to be up there. I'll be supporting my girl. Be up there with the Boyfriend's Club. I guess the Boyfriend's Club is just me and Reggie now. That's Reggie Jackson of the Detroit Pistons. He'll be on keeping a hundo sometime in the next couple weeks. So look forward to that. But before we get to that, I have the long-awaited podcast of the century all his fans have been calling for it, and it's finally come. The Jeff Keown Podcast. That one will be available next week. Comedian Jeff Keown. So make sure you keep it a hundo. Thanks for listening. <laughs>